This is Right from the Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? (laughs) As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you. Bringing interviews, inspiration, and information to encourage, refresh, and equip you to embrace the deep, to find your truest story, your truest message in the deep places. You can get the episode show notes, lots more information and encouragement, and your free audio download, Five Crucial Ways to Safeguard Your Writer's Heart, at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, happy December. You wonder what's happening at Right From The Deep? Well, here you go. Erin and I have been talking about Christmas traditions and what do we do when Christmas changes. In my situation, we had so many family Christmas traditions that I absolutely loved, but it's changed a lot now. My mom is gone, my dad is gone, my brothers are far away, and so What Don and I have done is we've realized that we need to hold on to some of those favorite traditions. Like he and I started a tradition that we each get $25. We go on a date night. We take those $25 and we buy stocking stuffers for each other. And then we get back together and go someplace for dinner, which is kind of a play on what we used to do when I was a kid. My mom used to take each one of us kids out individually for a night of Christmas shopping. And then we get to pick where we go to dinner and then we go back home. So we take some of those old families family traditions, modify them so they fit where we are now. But then we also have to establish new traditions that are just for Don and me. And one of the things that we do is Don always has to work Christmas Eve day and Christmas day. So that means no Christmas Eve together, no Christmas day together. <laughs> so we actually celebrate Christmas. Our anniversary is December 21st. And we celebrate Christmas all in kind of those three days around the anniversary so that we have that time set apart. And then on Christmas Day, while he's working, while he's working, I have a marathon Christmas movie time. So <laughs> you do what you have to to regain that sense of Christmas and to remember that just because it's changed, it doesn't mean that you can't savor it. And this will be an interesting Christmas for us. Some of you guys know that um, my husband and I moved from Oklahoma City to Kansas City for his job. And uh, a lot of unforeseen things happen. And we're sitting here in an apartment with our stuff kind of halfway stored in random places. And our boys have graduated college. And so it's kind of like the first time when we haven't felt like we had uh, a place for us all to gather. Their their childhood home is, is kind of gone now because we've moved. So we're going to be establishing something new. And, you know, it's as we record this December 4th, we haven't figured it out yet, (laughs) (laughs) but we will. We will figure it out and we'll make a new tradition and we'll be happy to be together. That's the real thing there. You know, I'm delighted. I've got my boys spread out across two different states and I'm in a different state and we're going to be together. That's what we're going to make happen. So if you find that Christmas has changed for you since you were a kid or your family traditions don't seem to fit who your family is anymore, guys, focus on the real meaning of Christmas and just find a way to savor that and to enjoy whatever time you can have together. Also, we want to send thanks and Christmas greetings to all our patrons on Patreon. We truly appreciate you. Yes, we do. And special thanks to our December sponsor of the month, Wendy L. McDonald. Not only is Wendy a writer, you guys, she produces a weekly short inspirational podcast called Walking with Hope for HopeStreamRadio.com. And you can find that on HopeStreamRadio.com. Check it out. And now... Here's the show! 
Hello, listeners. We are so glad that you're joining us here in the deep. You know, I am so excited about this podcast. One of the things many of us look forward to at Christmas time is singing or listening to our favorite Christmas carols. You know, many of us start listening to them as soon as the Thanksgiving turkey is put away in the fridge. And some of us, even some, meaning some of us who are sitting here talking to you, listen to them all year long. There's just something about them that touches us, warms our hearts, and draws our focus back to God. So here's what I was wondering. Who were the writers who penned these songs and what inspired them to do so? Yeah, and well, here's what we've got. We've got stories because we're storytellers. (laughs) We've got stories behind three of the most loved Christmas carols. And our source for this podcast is a book called Stories Behind the Best Loved Songs of Christmas by Ace Collins. And we'll have a link for that in the show notes. So guys, Grab some hot chocolate, sit back, and relax as we tell you some amazing stories. And hey, you might even want to get your kids to listen in. So, the first carol is one my dad loved to sing every year and that I love to hear him sing. And it's called, I Wonder As I Wonder. And we're probably going to put a link to him singing that in on the website. For years... John Jacob Niles wandered around the Appalachian Mountains in search of the origins of songs. He was a composer and singer who was born in Louisville, Kentucky. You notice I say that correctly, not Louisville, but Louisville, Kentucky, (laughs) on April 28, 1892. As an adult, though he longed to start his quest for music, John worked for an adding machine company to make ends meet. And then he served as a pilot during World War I. And it was during his days in Europe that he first put together an impressive catalog of American folk songs. Begging every soldier he met to share a song, Niles wrote down the lyrics and memorized the music of each one. After that's, the war, that's amazing know, right? that he did that. So after the war, armed with a suitcase filled with folk music, Niles returned home and continued his education at the Cincinnati Conservatory. When he graduated, he moved to Chicago, where he sang with the Lyric Opera <laughs> and performed on Westinghouse Radio. The Lyric Opera, yeah, he must have had a fairly decent voice. Probably. In 1925, Niles moved to New York, where he not only sang on radio and on stage, but he began to publish music collections of both his original songs and the folk songs he'd gathered during the war. By 1940, he was a recording artist on the RCA label and was recognized as one of the nation's top opera singers. His two most successful original works were, and some of you will know these songs, Black Black is the color of my true love's hair. I've sung that many times. And Jesus, Jesus, rest your head. Money and fame made Niles the toast of New York. Yet even as he received standing ovations for his performances and was dressed in the finest clothing, backstage the man sang, what? Folk ditties! ditties. (laughs) There was something about simple American music that wouldn't leave him alone. He finally decided he was more historian than performer and moved back to Kentucky. That's following your passion. And in his beloved Appalachian Mountains, Niles traveled from town to town looking for undiscovered folk songs. The library of work he uncovered in all those years is still one of the most important in music history. One song in particular would become a monument to his years of hard work and a testament to the power of inspired creativity. On a cold December day in North Carolina, Niles was visiting a poor community going about their daily lives. 
Just a few hundred miles away in New York, the chaos that was Christmas in the big city was in full force. Niles had seen it many times, yet in this village, Niles could hear snow crunching under feet and saw children in ragged clothes looking longingly into windows where a few small toys were displayed. Clearly, the modern world had never touched this unspoiled place. When Niles took in the simple beauty around him, a soft voice reached him. He scanned the street and spotted a small girl sitting by herself on a bench, quietly singing a song Niles had never heard. When she finished, Niles pulled out a pencil and a tablet and went to ask the little girl about the song. All she knew was that her mother had taught it to her, like her grandmother had taught it to her mother before her, and so on. Niles asked her to please sing it again, and she smiled and quietly repeated the ballad's short verses. The song, which the girl called I Wonder As I Wonder," haunted Niles. Long after the child disappeared into the evening, Niles continued to study the words. They were deeply spiritual, incredibly thoughtful. They embraced the joy and wonder of Christmas, but also lingered on the sacrifice of the babe grown into a man who died on the cross. Both the words and music were perfect, simple, direct, and inspired. Even a master songwriter like Niles couldn't imagine improving on them. So when Niles brought the song to prominence just before the beginning of World War II, he tried to capture the spirit of the child who had first shared the song with him when he sang it. Even as he awed audiences with his discovery, the humble singer recognized that his version was not nearly as powerful as the original. For the rest of his life, Niles tried to discover the origins of the song, but he could never trace it back farther than the girl in North Carolina, a child he never found again. It was as if she had been an angel sent to deliver a message, a message that embraced the wonder of the Savior's birth and sacrifice. Because of a chance meeting between an unknown child and a man who spent his life wandering America in search of music, the world gained an unforgettable Christmas ballad that has never ceased to cause those who hear it to wonder. And now here are the lyrics for I Wonder As I Wander. I wonder as I wander out under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor ornery people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander out under the sky. When Mary birthed Jesus, was in a cow stall with wise men and farmers and shepherds and all. But high from God's heaven, a star's light did fall and the promise of ages it then did recall. If Jesus had wanted for any wee thing, a star in the sky or a bird on the wing or all of God's angels in heaven for to sing, he surely could have it because he was the king. Our next carol is one of the oldest and most beloved, O Come All Ye Faithful. John Francis Wade was a man of God caught in a holy war. In 1745, at the age of 35, Wade's life was on the line. Strife between the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church was at an all-time high. Many practicing Catholics were forced to take their faith underground. To avoid prisoner death, many priests fled Britain, including John Wade. He made his way to France, where, in a city inundated by English Catholics and those who opposed the British royal family, he was given an important job. Research and identify historical church music, which the Church of England was trying to erase from the world. 
then carefully record and preserve it for future generations. Wade reclaimed old pieces, but he was also inspired to write new hymns. As a Catholic cleric, it was only natural that he compose new works in Latin. In or around 1750, Wade put the finishing touches on what would become his most famous tune, Adeste de Fidelis. You know, it wouldn't be until a decade later that he put music to his lyrics, and it was published. Yet something strange happened. Though the carol was published at least two different times, with John Wade credited as being the composer, credit for writing the carol became and remained a mystery. Frederick Oakley translated the original lyrics into English in 1841, but the authorship of the song had spawned numerous legends as to its writer, none of which named John Wade. Oh, gosh. Many of the world's most famous singing groups and stars recorded the song, making it famous worldwide. But no credit was given to the man who had written it. Oh, Come, All Ye Faithful was America's favorite Christmas carol until Bing Crosby cut White Christmas. Mm-hmm. On that same album, though, Crosby included his version of Oh, Come, All Ye Faithful. And that is when a music historian finally sifted through all the legends and uncovered the song's real writer, finally granting John Francis Wade the credit he so richly deserved. Wade lived in a time of great conflict between various branches of the Christian church. He'd been forced to give up the country he loved as a sacrifice of faith and made to work long hours trying to preserve church records. Others were attempting to erase for all time. And even so, Wade reveled in his role as a servant to his Lord. In every word and verse of O Come, All Ye Faithful, the composer's faith is not just verified, it's magnified. At a time when the church was literally at war, only someone who truly believed in the holiness of Christ could have written the carol that would bring all Christians together to the same place each Christmas, bowing before Christ the Lord. And here are the lyrics, some of which I've actually never heard. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. True God of true God, light from light eternal, lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb, son of the Father, begotten, not created. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Oh, sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. See how the shepherds, summoned to his cradle, leaving their flocks, draw nigh to gaze. We too will thither bend our joyful footsteps. Child for us sinners, poor and in the manger, we would embrace thee with love and awe. Who would not love thee, loving us so dearly? Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. 
Our last carol is one I love to sing. It has a beautiful alto part, and that's O Little Town of Bethlehem. Here's the story. On December 24th, 1805, Phillips Brooks was a half a world away from home and feeling a lot older than 30. Already recognized as one of the most dynamic Christian speakers in America, it was Brooks, only six years into his ministry, who had been called upon in May to give the funeral message over President Abraham Lincoln. That solemn honor, in tandem with leading the congregation of Philadelphia's Holy Trinity Church through the bloody years of the Civil War, took its toll. Worn out and in need of spiritual rebirth, Brooks took a sabbatical and left the United States to tour the Middle East. On Christmas Eve in Jerusalem, the American felt an urge to get away from the hundreds of other pilgrims who had journeyed to the Holy Land for the holidays. Though warned that he might encounter thieves, the preacher borrowed a horse and set out across the desolate and unforgiving countryside. For many peaceful hours, he was alone with his thoughts as he studied a land that had changed little since the days of Paul and Timothy. Just think about that, being in that place where he knew that Jesus and his disciples had, had walked and been. For the minister, December 24th was a wonderful time of prayer and meditation. At dusk, a sudden sense of awe fell over Brooks. Under a clear sky, the first stars just beginning to emerge— he rode into the still tiny and remote village of Bethlehem. He recalled the story of the birth of his Savior, and by being present in the place in which Jesus was born, was able to add vivid detail to the familiar tale in Scripture. The great speaker was all but speechless as he considered the heavenly king born in such modest surroundings. There on the streets, almost unchanged since biblical times, Brooks felt as if he were surrounded by the spirit of the first Christmas. He would later tell his family and friends that the experience was so overpowering that it would forever be singing in his soul. Like the path from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, though, Phillips Brooks' own life had often been rocky and winding. At the age of 22, the Harvard graduate was a struggling teacher at Boston Latin School. Frustrated that his students wouldn't put in the time that he felt was necessary to do the coursework, Brooks finally gave up. He turned to prayer and Bible study to find his place in the world. Still unsure of his future, Brooks entered the Episcopal Theological Seminary and began pastoral studies. After graduating in 1859, he began his ministry in Philadelphia. What he lacked in the classroom, he made up for in the pulpit. His messages were powerful and dynamic. In 1861, he was called to lead the congregation of the Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia. Yet even as Holy Trinity grew and Brooks's fame spread far and wide, he was growing physically and spiritually tired. By 1863, the national spirit was dying almost as quickly as the soldiers on the Civil War battlefields. Everyone knew someone who had been killed or gravely injured. Scores of women in the church wore black, mourning the loss of a husband or son. Darkness fell over every facet of the services. Brooks's congregation wanted him to be inspirational, to help them believe that the good things in life they had once known would someday be theirs again. They wanted an end to the war. Yet though Brooks made a valiant effort, the preacher couldn't give his flock what they needed most, peace. 
When the war finally ended, Brooks really believed that the sweetness of life and soul would soon return to his flocks. But the pain only intensified when President Lincoln was assassinated. Although Brooks was not Lincoln's pastor, he was the one asked to speak at Lincoln's funeral, as we said at the beginning of this story, because of his reputation as an orator. Digging deep, he found the words to fill the moment. But seeing a great leader so senselessly slain and the exhaustion of the effort itself left Brooks void of everything he needed as a pastor. And so he decided to take a sabbatical. He kept a journal while in the Holy Land, and he added this account of his visit in Bethlehem. I was standing in the old church in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born, when the whole church was ringing hour after hour with the splendid hymns of praise to God. Again and again, it seemed as if I could hear voices I know well telling each other of the Savior's birth. Back in Philadelphia, Brooks longed to share those amazing moments with his flock, but could not find the words to express all he'd seen and felt. In the holiday season of 1868, Brooks again thought of when he rode into Bethlehem at dusk and the church service that had followed. This time he didn't force the words out. He simply relived the experience and jotted down the lines that seemed to float in his head. His thoughts soon took the form of a poem. When he finished writing, he hurried to share it with the church organist, Louis Redner. Redner spent hours at the piano trying to find a tune to fit the poem. Finally, on December 24th, as Redner (laughs) went to bed, he was forced to admit he had failed. Just as Brooks had been unable to find dynamic oratory to fully describe what he had experienced in Bethlehem, Redner was unable to compose a majestic rhapsody to carry the preacher's simple words. It was only while in his bed, long after he had given up, that the organist found an unadorned and straightforward tune. Isn't that the way it usually goes? You're coming up against a deadline. When you finally stop struggling and striving, God just gives it to you. Right. So rubbing the sleep from his eyes, Redner discovered the tune given to him in slumber perfectly fit Brooks' words, as if blessed by God himself on Christmas morning, O little town of Bethlehem was complete. Phillips Brooks is now recognized as the greatest American preacher of the 19th century. His first published volume of sermons sold over 200,000 copies. (laughs) Think about that, writers. 200,000 copies when it released in 1878. And it's still read and studied today. Yet it is Brooks the songwriter, not the preacher, whose work millions now know and cherish. It is the simple language of the common traveler in search of spiritual renewal that continues to touch lives around the world. So as we read the lyrics to A Little Town of Bethlehem, I think you'll see, as I did as I was typing them out, that they're so appropriate for us in our broken and angry world today. So we'll let these words and the prayer that Emmanuel will come to us and abide with us end the podcast. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. 
Oh, morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. And now, guys, sing it with me. Sing these last lines as a prayer for all of us. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us today. We hope you found it helpful. And if you know someone else who needs this podcast, please share it. You can find backlist episodes and lots more resources at our website, rightfromthedeep.com. Yep, we'd love to connect with you guys there. So, until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Amen. Amen.